Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So it's the time of the year when kids are heading back to school. And that means, among other things, that they are likely to hear that age-old teacher mantra, there's no such thing as a stupid question. But while there may be no such thing as a stupid question, there is such a thing as the wrong question. The wrong question is the question that won't actually get you the information that you need or want. So there's a story about Henry Ford, probably an apocryphal one, but still a story about Henry Ford who pioneered the automobile assembly line. And it shows us that Ford understood the dangers of asking the wrong question. Because somebody had evidently wondered, asked him, wondered to him, why he didn't base his innovations on what consumers said they wanted. And Ford allegedly said, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. <laughs> so what we have in our gospel reading this morning is a classic case of somebody asking the wrong question. Lord, will those who are saved be few? That's what somebody asks Jesus. And at first glance, Jesus' response sounds kind of harsh. It's another one of those hard sayings that we talked about last week. And it's true that Jesus is not mincing words in his response. But as we unpack this passage this morning, I think that what we'll find is that what Jesus is actually showing his listeners, including us, is that when we ask the wrong questions, we do more than just miss out on information. When we ask the wrong questions, we can miss out on the experience of the abundant life of the kingdom of God. So Luke sets the scene for us in verse 22. He writes, Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. So you might remember last week we talked about how Jesus being on his way to Jerusalem is really important for how we understand what's happening in this big old section of Luke's gospel. Because this isn't just about geography. It's not the Google Maps version of Jesus' journey. Luke actually doesn't give us a lot of geographical specifics. Jesus being on his way to Jerusalem is about purpose, not about location. Jesus knows he's going to Jerusalem to suffer and die for the salvation of the world. He is a man on a mission. And as he travels around and he meets people and he teaches them, that mission is always at the front of his mind. So Jesus is on his mission toward Jerusalem. Somewhere he stops to teach and someone in the crowd, we have no idea who it was, but someone in the crowd asks him a question. Lord, will those who are saved be few? We don't know why this person asks this question. We'll make some guesses about that in a few moments. 
It appears to be a very straightforward, objective, factual question. It doesn't seem to be personal. In fact, it's even phrased in what grammarian nerds like me call the passive voice. It's about asking about those who are saved rather than about the person doing the saving. It's a question that seems to be looking only for information as an answer. But Jesus' response reveals that it's not the right question, which we can tell because he doesn't actually answer it. He doesn't say, yes, only a few are being saved, or no, actually tons and tons and tons of people are being saved. Will those who are saved be few, the person asks, and Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow door. Not a response to the question that was asked. We'll come back in a minute to what he means by strive to enter through the narrow door. But first, let's look at the rest of what he has to say. He says, strive to enter through the narrow door because there will be many who try to enter through the door and won't be able to. And then he tells a kind of parable. He says, you all, the crowd, you are like people who wait until the end of the night when the owner of the house or the keeper of the inn is in bed before you finally decide to come in for the night. But at that point, it's too late. Doesn't matter what excuses you make or how you try to claim your connection to the master of the house. It's just too late to come in. The door has been closed for the night. And you're not going to like it when that happens, Jesus says. You will weep and gnash your teeth. Because that house that you have tried to enter, that's the kingdom of God. And when you are not allowed in, you will look and you will see who is in there. You'll see Abraham and Isaac and, the, and Jacob and all the prophets. You'll see them in the kingdom of God and you won't be there. And then, as if that weren't harsh enough, Jesus adds a kicker. He says, people will come from east and west and north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. East and west and north and south, that's a figure of speech for the whole world. And the whole world meant not just Jews, but Gentiles too. So Jesus is warning his listeners here. He says, sure, the the great giants of the faith will be in the kingdom of heaven, the patriarchs, the prophets, and even Gentiles will be there too. But all of those people can be in the kingdom of heaven, and you might not. Because, Jesus says, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. These aren't easy words that Jesus speaks But from them, from this answer, we can get a sense of why the question that the person asked was the wrong question. Because Jesus takes that question, which was a third-person, passive-voice, information-seeking question, and he replies with a second-person, active-voice answer. 
Will those who are saved be few? Jesus says, you, you strive to enter through the narrow door. And it's a plural you. He's talking to everybody here. He takes this one theoretical question, and instead of answering it directly, he addresses and implicates everybody who's listening. And Jesus responds not with information, but with instruction. See, the question is the wrong question because it takes something that is as personal and as vital as participating in the kingdom of God, and it treats it as if it were not personal and not vital. It asks the question as if it were an out there question. When Jesus says, you need to look in here. Don't be concerned about what happens to everybody else, Jesus is saying. Be concerned about what's happening in your own heart. Which leads us to wonder what motivated the question asker to begin with. I suspect Jesus knew what the person's motivation was in the way that Jesus often knew the hearts of people who spoke to him. But the passage doesn't tell us, but I think we can make some guesses. And it helps to imagine the different tones of voice in which the question might have been asked. So imagine this. Will those who are saved be few? You can imagine the the fear, the hesitation in the person's voice as they ask the question, And what the real question is under that is, will I be among those who are saved? Is this message for me? And so to that question, Jesus' response is, yes, it's for you. Come in. Come into the kingdom of God. It won't be easy. Narrow door. But the door is open even for you. Or imagine the question is asked like this. Will those who are saved be few? You can hear the pride and the superiority in the voice. This is the question of somebody who is so confident that they are among those who are saved that they just want to feel superior to everybody else. They are sure that they are among the few, the elite. And Jesus' response is, not so fast, buddy. There are a lot of folks who think they're going to be in the kingdom of God, but they're going to end up not. Because they didn't try to enter, they just assumed they'd be there. They took it for granted, the invitation Or imagine the question like this. Will those who are saved be few? Hear the emphasis on the future. This is the question of somebody who is trying to understand how it all works. What is the system? Because if there is a system and there are rules, then I know how to play the game and it's all going to be okay. But Jesus' answer is, 
Don't worry about the future. Act now. Strive now to enter through the narrow door. Don't find your security and your safety and your ability to figure everything out, to understand a system, but just go ahead. Come on and enter in now because that is where your safety and your security lie. Strive now to enter through the narrow door. Why is this Jesus' emphasis, no matter what the, the meaning of the question, the motivation of the question? Why this emphasis on enter now, don't wait, it will be too late? We can look at this as sort of two time horizons and see why this urgency with which Jesus was answering the question. One, remember, he is on his way to Jerusalem. Crucifixion is coming up. And so if people want to be part of his movement, if they want to be his followers, time is limited. (laughs) This coupon has an expiration date, right? But if you also think that Jesus is talking not just about his crucifixion, but about the coming judgment when God will sort the good from the evil and where justice will be done, then there is a point at which the invitation closes. Because there is a point where the judgment will occur. So on both the immediate term of these people gathered around him, whether they're going to come and join him, and on the eschatological term of whether people will choose to follow the kingdom, follow Jesus and join the kingdom before the judgment. This is an urgent question. And that's part of Jesus' answer. This isn't a question out there in the future. It's a question for here and now. Lord, will those who are saved be few? We ask similar questions, don't we? Not necessarily about who's in and who's out when it comes to salvation and judgment, but just questions about who God is and how he works and what it means for us to be part of all of this kingdom of God stuff. We ask lots of questions, and they can be great questions, but we can also ask questions that are the wrong questions because of why we ask them. Just like those different hypothetical people asking the question in different ways. So we might also ask God questions not out of a desire to be part of what he's doing, but because we're afraid. We also wonder, will those who are being saved be few? We are afraid. We're afraid that maybe we're not good enough. That the kingdom of heaven couldn't possibly have space for somebody like us. Or maybe we can feel prideful or superior. Will those who are saved be few? Because we like to know who's in and who's out. Because we're pretty sure we're in. And we like to feel better than others because of it. 
Or we can be looking for security in our own understanding rather than in our sense of belonging to God and being his child and a citizen of his kingdom. We can ask God the wrong question. But no matter what, Jesus' answer is the same. Come on in. The point is to live in the kingdom of God and to experience life with him. Come on in, Jesus says, now and into eternity. Now, when I talk about not asking the wrong question, I want to be clear that I'm not talking about an anti-intellectual faith. We should ask hard questions about God and of God. I have a degree in theology. I'm good. I enjoy asking hard questions. But this is about not hiding behind those questions rather than encountering God and answering his invitation. I was thinking, as I was uh, meditating on this passage, I was thinking about a time when I was in college. I think it was my junior year, and it was as close to maybe a crisis of faith as I had come to at that point in my life. And I was really stuck on the idea of how Jesus' death saves us. How Jesus' death accomplishes the forgiveness of our sins. I just didn't understand how it worked. The ways it had been explained to me felt like some sort of cosmic algebra equation that I didn't quite get. And I felt like if I don't understand how this works, well, then how can I believe it? And I remember sitting in a coffee shop with a good friend of mine and telling her about this. And she said, she quoted the line of the hymn, If you tarry till you're ready, you will never come at all. She said, you can sit here and ask and ask and ask the question, but at some point you just have to decide, are you in or are you out? And it was just a moment for me that shifted so much because I thought, okay, I'm in. Like, this is a story I want to be in on, whether I understand how it works or not. And I still don't entirely understand how it works. I tried to write a thesis about it in my master's degree, and I still don't understand it. But I chose to answer that invitation that Jesus gave of said, try to enter by the narrow way. Come on in. The door is open. Strive to enter by the narrow door. It's not an easy invitation that Jesus gives us. Remember, he is on his way to be crucified. That's what he is inviting people to. Strive to enter to the narrow door. Many will seek to enter but not be able, Jesus says. But I want to be clear that It's not that many will seek to enter and not be able because they're not good enough or because they're not working hard enough, because they haven't earned their way in. Many will seek to enter but not be able because following Jesus is hard. It means that we have to embrace the reversal 
that Jesus proclaimed when he came to proclaim his kingdom. That reversal where the first end up being last and the last end up being first. Are we who often in life are among the firsts? Are we really okay with that? The world, the kingdom where the master is one who serves. Who are called to be servants of others. A kingdom where sinners are forgiven and where we are called to forgive those who sin against us. It is not easy to live in the kingdom of heaven. But the invitation is there. It is there for each of us. And so if we choose to answer it, to strive to enter through that narrow door... It means we have to give up on the idea of deserving any particular outcome in life. We have to say, God, I'm not going to ask you to bless my agenda in life. I'm going to seek to follow your agenda and let go of my own. Striving to enter through the narrow door is not easy. But there's good news. There's a party on the other side of that door. And not just in a sort of pie in the sky when you die kind of way. This isn't just a story about heaven. It's a story about the kingdom of God here and now. Jesus says, come on in because you get to dwell in communion with me and my Father and the Holy Spirit. And you get to be part of what we are doing in the world. It is a party. Come on in. There is power and joy and life on the other side of the narrow door. Henry Ford said, If I asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. All of the life and the power of the kingdom of God are available to us. So let's not settle for faster horses. Let's walk through that narrow door. Amen.